Can you tell that I tried to get an appointment with a specialist this week between 12 and 1 and nobody on the phone? This is High Stakes from Gerard Inc. I'm David Schifrin with Gerard Inc. A few weeks ago, I saw a story from one of the trades where the headline made it sound like the article was going to reveal new insights into how sort of your traditional healthcare model, your acute hospital health system setting, how these organizations were taking lessons from retail companies that have gotten into healthcare, your Amazons, your Walmarts, that sort of thing, and applying those lessons within the traditional model. It turned out within just a couple of sentences that the article was not that. It was about systems and retail healthcare companies essentially co-branding, partnering up which is, of course, valuable and worth discussion, but it's not the same thing. So for me, it, it raised the question of really, how is the consumerism model moving forward in healthcare, if it is? And of course, this is also coming on the heels of J.P. Morgan. To get at that, I talked to Sheila Biggs, who is a vice president at the firm and health services practice deputy lead, and Abby McNeil, also a vice president and deputy lead of our regional health systems practice. Abby also heads up our strategic positioning work, which includes a lot of marketing and branding-related thinking. So both Abby and Sheila have extensive professional background and strong personal opinions based on their experiences as a healthcare consumer. That was Abby you heard in the cold open and she kicks off our conversation. The big takeaway for me was this idea that it's often the underlying operational challenges like staffing that can cause issues with implementing a more quote unquote retail or consumer friendly approach to healthcare. If you wanna learn more about the work that we do in this area, check out gerardinc.com forward slash services. After I scheduled this, I reread the article a couple more times. I was like, this is, it's interesting. I'll start off by saying I thought the headline was a bait and switch. Health systems look to emulate a retail health environment. And then within the first, like literally the first sentence, it says, it doesn't say that they're emulating a retail environment. They are partnering with retailers Mm -hmm. to provide more Mm -hmm. access in different ways. So I feel let down in this conversation as well. I have a lot of questions about if they're actually providing anything more access. There were a lot of words in that article about how excited we are to be partnering with large brand names, like insert big name here. I am skeptical that any of those partnerships are going to lead to more access, improved care. They are going to potentially lead to more referrals to our health system from XYZ Clinic. They might lead to more information sharing potentially, but are they really going to achieve those like beautiful words that we all wrote in our press releases? I don't know. I don't really believe that they are. I was with you, Abby, and that when I read the article, it just reminded me of what we saw maybe a decade ago. And that to get those referral sources, we saw hospitals purchasing independent primary care practices in their region. Then they couldn't make it work financially. So about a decade after that, we saw them divest. They still want that referral source though. And so they are partnering with these well-established retailers that probably already have clinics within their facilities and or have that blueprint. And they're able then to get their brand recognition. They have that political clout within the community without the overhead of contracts, facility maintenance, supply chain issues. 
It's funny too, because it reminds me, remember like two or three years ago, everybody in healthcare was like doing this touchdown dance because, you know, we had been hearing for so long, like Amazon's getting into healthcare and Walmart's getting into healthcare and we suck at consumer experience and they're just going to come and like wipe us all off the face of the earth. And everybody was you know, hyperventilating and losing sleep. And then some article or report came out about how so many of those large names had failed at healthcare or weren't turning a profit or weren't moving as fast as everybody thought they were or weren't really doing anything. And we like took this victory lap about healthcare is so complex. Of course, y'all can't figure it out. And now this seems to be the next iteration, Sheila, to your point, of what those entries could look like into healthcare. I think these large names have figured out that, yes, it is complex in a way that it like doesn't behoove them to try to figure out. And B, it takes a lot of time and energy. And so let's just partner with people who have those payer contracts or who have the infrastructure or whatever. Um, so we don't have to mess with the pieces of healthcare that are expensive, feel useless, and are going to drain our bottom line, right? I still question if it's really better for patients, it really leads to anything different besides a larger geographic pr footprint or distribution model or something like that. So this is like, for the health system side, it's a branding exercise, it's a marketing That's play, and, and then yes. for the big retailers, it's a cost. It's a navigation of the system that the health that the hospitals and health systems have already figured out. So it's a bringing of gifts and talents to the table to try it again. We saw hospitals and health systems try it before. We saw big retailers try it before. Hey, now let's cut our losses, bring our gifts together and see if we can make this work. That's how I'm seeing it. It's a low investment play in the healthcare space. What I'm not seeing, Abby, is that this to me, I read just brick and mortar across the board. Now, if you really want to get into retail healthcare, where are those other touch points of convenience that the consumer needs? The digital, the omni-channel approach, the seamless and easy. I didn't see that happening. Seamless, Agreed. easy, omni-channel approach are all words that I really expected to come out of Abby's mouth. So <laughs> congratulations. I for this. And again, I'm more trying to get into the bigger issue of what is, and we are now eight minutes and 45 seconds into the recording, and I'm going to use the first, it's the first use of the word consumerism. But like the whole consumer play, better scheduling and being able to do stuff on my phone or whatever. And this is just, yeah, I mean, this in some cases is literally just putting logos side by side. Um, it feels to me like it would be a lot simpler to do some of those basic things like Sheila, your point about getting better tools and some of the basics, let's not worry about access and volume and referrals until we can actually get people in the door in the first place. I have to say that isn't that just the MO of healthcare to not necessarily fix the things that are right in front of us and potentially low-hanging fruit from an operational perspective, but to keep pushing things forward, keep thinking bigger, keep trying to fix the big issues, leaving those smaller gaps open. And I think the problem is that it costs money to fix those things, right? Like, I think we 
all got through COVID and everybody expected a really horrible experience at your healthcare provider, you, there wasn't going to be somebody to answer the phone. And you were like, okay with that. But we've continued on with even worse customer service or consumer support or whatever. We talk a lot about a consumer experience and a retail experience and how important it is. But then those basics, we don't invest in fixing or we can't fix with those kinds of investments. Look, online scheduling is great. If you don't have enough providers to meet the need, it doesn't matter how easy it is to schedule. It's going to take three months to get in to see anybody. So I think there are much larger things that are at play here. Look, I was part of a group that tried to get um, freestanding ED and urgent cares to open up to online scheduling eight years ago because we got three sites up and running and we launched the marketing campaign. And then the people who worked in those sites quietly turned off every single appointment. So like we did a big push about how you could get an online appointment and then you couldn't actually get one because they didn't want to do it that way. So I think there are a lot of pieces that retail healthcare requires. I also think that we, ha we forget a lot as healthcare leaders that we're not being compared to our competitors in this space. We're being compared to experiences in our real lives. I'm not comparing if hospital system A and hospital system B have online scheduling when I'm making, when I'm deciding who to make an appointment with. But if I've got a specialist or I've got somebody I'm trying to schedule an appointment with and I can't make a stinking appointment from 12 to one every day because you're closed, then that's a different kind of thing because I expect if I'm trying to give someone money to get my hair cut, I can call them from 12 to one and somebody's gonna answer the phone because they want to take my money. Like, I think that's what we forget is that we have an Amazon experience in every other area of our lives, so we expect that we should have one in healthcare. We don't care that the people down the street have worse access problems than you do. You're exactly right. If health systems, hospitals, clinics, if they're going to be successful within this retail environment, you have to provide patients choice, just like you provide consumers choice. You have to enable agency for them to go to whom they want to go to. And you need to create many ways to access it. I thought about this line, you've got to have a good UX to have that PX. <laughs> Don't keep that, that's so cheesy. <laughs> that's the headline. <laughs> it's staying in. Um, Abby, you did bring up urgent care. And while I know there's some blurred as to uh, what urgent care is, is that retail and there's a separation. I had the best urgent care experience recently. I had to go in earlier this week. You might be able to tell in my voice, I'm still getting over something. I put in my information, very simple. I got a response saying that you are 13 in line. When you're three, drive over. When you're two, come in. And it was seamless. And it was all on my phone, updated automatically. That is the experience that we want with all healthcare. There is a difference between the expectations of our providers and how they expect to work. There is a difference in younger providers coming into the workforce and expecting different kinds of work-life benefits, which I think is fair. Not even benefit, work-life balance. Like, I, and I think that's fair. Um, if we could hire more 
providers, we might not be in this spot. I think a lot of times it's staffing that is the constraint for offering more support during off hours or after hours. So I think we've got to think about where can we as healthcare leaders fill those gaps with non-providers. So if it's having somebody to answer the phone, like I'm gonna keep going back to that example, but it's having somebody to answer the phone between 12 and one and after five, maybe that's a thing we do, even if we can't get our providers here during that time. It does take a lot of work and money and investment and people and time to put in an experience like what Sheila described with the app, but a lot of EHRs offer similar things now. So I think it's all of the above. There's not one thing that's keeping us from this kind of experience. There are all sorts of things and they are the way we've always done things. And that's probably the biggest thing that's keeping us from moving forward. What do you think, Sheila? I don't know that there's gotta be some sort of hindrance within the operation and certainly money being a part of that. I would have to also think there's something within coding and reimbursement that hinders health systems from moving in the direction of opening up more urgent care facilities. Because within the health services space, not tied to health, health systems, we are seeing a significant growth. So there, there has to be some sort of malleability or flexibility that allows standalone, non-affiliated healthcare organizations in the health services space to open urgent care networks. And I don't know what that is. I did do a little bit of research on this because that's what we're seeing within our client base that- Hang on, do you want, uh, here's some applause for doing the research. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Well, ready for the mic drop. In 2015, the urgent care space was looking at, at like valuation of 15 billion. It's now expected by 2031 to be almost 50 billion. So jumping in 15 years. Yeah. So it's so the market's there and the effort is there. I mean, the demand is there and people are, organizations are seeing that and moving into it. Can we also talk about like medical data. The other thing I'm thinking about when I read yeah. these like retail care and Amazon buying medical and like those sorts of things. And there's been certainly plenty of discussion about this, but like, I do not want Amazon to have my healthcare information. <laughs> HHS and OIG are like so worried about Facebook pixels and who health systems are selling to. What are we doing about these large companies like getting access to our medical data through these partnerships. That's the thing I want to avoid. And I'm also an end of one and married to somebody who won't let us have an Alexa because they'll listen to us or like a ring doorbell. So I get that I'm in, I may be a subset. And if it made my consumer experience so much better, I might walk that back. But right now that's not something that I'm interested in. Yeah. Like our trust in these companies only goes so far. When it goes back to that story, and at this point, I don't know if it was real or apocryphal from, I don't know, 15 years ago. Do you remember the, the target pregnancy yes. story that like kicked this whole thing off? Yeah. Right. It's you that. have to tell us that story now, Chef. Okay. There was, so when Target first started doing all of their 
data mining on their consumer habit, they would then customize coupon booklets and send them to people. And some dad got a coupon booklet that was filled with prenatal and infant supplies. And it turned out that his daughter was pregnant and he found out by a target targeted ad. Um, Again, I don't even know. I need to double look on Snopes and see if that actually happened. And Abby, I absolutely see what you're saying. Take, for example, the scenario of going into a clinic that is partnered with Amazon. You find out that you have diabetes. Before you even walk out, you start seeing coupons pop up for sugar-free gummy bears on your Google display. That is the line that I don't want to cross either. And even well, and if there are guardrails put into place, that information is there and it's only a hack away. And does it go back to my insurer? I mean, I've worked with academic medical centers and their genetics team who say, look, it's important that people who have cancer and go through genetic testing know that this can, if we do some kind of like BRCA testing or something for their family members to see if they've got a risk for cancer, that could negatively impact their ability to purchase insurance in the future. So like, then where does those lines cross and who actually gets access to that information, not just to sell me consumer products to Sheila's point, but to decide if I'm insurable and how much it costs for me to get health insurance or life insurance or anything else. If we wanted to give some sort of closing thoughts or advice or like next steps, what does that look like? I mean, I think, all the conversations that we have with health system and health services, marketing communications leaders, I think for those that don't have a tool like online scheduling, there's a lot of angst about that. I think that's fair, but I think the advice I would give, I'd look at your appointment scheduling processes now, your capacity and your access, how you can offer those services, market those services out to the community that do have that capacity, and also how you can improve on your existing system if there's not investment to be made in an online scheduling tool right now. So that could look like looking at our scheduling procedures across our system or hospital or clinics. Do we have someone answering the phone? Do we have a central place answering the phone if that's appropriate to do that scheduling? Can someone call and actually book an appointment with one call, right? Like how many calls or clicks does it take for a consumer to make an appointment or a provider to refer to us? And then what are we doing with our online physician finder? So I think those are other places that we may have the ability to impact and may actually be lower hanging fruit and, and may bear more of that fruit in the short term as we're looking to build support for and get the budget for tools like online scheduling. Like there's not, like it's not that there's a checklist here. I think if Amazon hasn't figured it out, then it's fair that like we in the health systems we work with haven't figured it out either. I think the name of the conversation should be, um, how many clicks does it take to get to the center? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, thanks to both of you.